Hello, I'm Somi Aryan. I'm the founder of Fempeak, a Web3 education platform where we prepare you to participate in the ownership economy and the next generation of the internet. We are led by women and inclusive to everyone ready to shape the new emerging world order driven by technology. My guest on today's podcast is Sadie Rainey, the co-founder of Makara. Sadie previously served as controller for Blue Box pre- and post-acquisition by IBM. She's part of the Female Founder Alliance and is mentor for the Barcelona Technology Transfer Group. Sadie is also a member of the Strix Leviathan Nest Fund Investment Committee. We had a great discussion about the state of the crypto market and her success as a woman in this space. Before we start, I also want to tell you about Athletic Greens, our sponsor for today's show. I started taking their AG1 daily supplement because I work 14 to 15 hours a day and I need a way to stay at my peak performance. Now, I've been taking it for several weeks and I'm loving it. I definitely feel more mentally alert and honestly, it's no wonder that Athletic Greens has over 7,000 five-star reviews. I wanted to share this with you because I'm genuinely loving it. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash somi. Again, that is athleticgreens slash somi to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Without further ado, let's listen to what Sadie has to say. Why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about who you are, you know, the business that you've built and uh, tell us the good news. Sure. So I am CEO and co-founder of Strix Leviathan, which is a crypto hedge fund. We've been operating for about four years now. Um, prior to that, my career has always been in accounting and finance, uh, more op- back office operations roles. But after getting my MBA um, from the University of Washington, I decided I wanted to go work in the startup world. So I went to work for a private cloud startup based in Seattle at that point in time. And about a year after that, we were acquired by IBM. And going through that process was absolutely grueling, um, but very exciting and really lit a fire for me to be uh, in the startup world and to stay in the startup world. So when the founder of that company decided to start another company a couple of years later, uh, he asked if I was interested in being his co-founder, which I left at the opportunity. He's just a fantastic person and he's an entrepreneur uh, and a real technical entrepreneur. And so he needed somebody to build out the business with him that did all of the other things that were not technical, the operations, accounting, finance, and things like that. So we started the company um, four years ago, kind of right after the 2017 um, big first run up in crypto where everyone around the world started to really first hear about it. So uh, we started that company four years ago. It's, It's been a very interesting time. And about a year ago, we decided to spin another company out of Strix Leviathan. So Strix Leviathan is a a hedge fund. It's a private hedge fund. So we're limited to qualified purchasers to uh, invest in in the vehicles. And we decided about a year ago that that just wasn't good enough. We wanted to build something that offered the platform and the stability that we've built as a company to everyone. 
And from that idea, we launched a company called Makara. And it was the time at the time, the first SEC registered robo advisor for crypto. And we launched that last, uh, we launched that publicly last summer. And I'm happy to announce last week, we uh, entered into an agreement to be acquired by Betterment. So Betterment is one of the largest independent robo-advisors in the country. They have also decided that crypto is an area of growth for investors, especially younger investors who are looking for um, more diversified portfolios and ways to manage their own future. And so they're bringing us into the fold to build out their crypto offering. That's amazing. That's fantastic. I, I really um, love hearing that, you know, on so many levels, both because I can see the growth of uh, crypto and, and uh, you know, bringing it into more of a one step closer to being a mainstream, uh, you know, investment vehicle, um, but also having a woman, you know, at the center of that and, and being, uh, you know, part of that. So, um, so that's fascinating. So, um, you talked a little bit about the fact that your co-founder did most of the technical stuff and you did the other sides of the business. I think that's a very important observation because it shows that a lot of times women don't go into these uh, fields because they feel like, oh, I'm not a technical person. But actually, just like any other business, a crypto-related business and a financial-related business doesn't have to be crypto, any kind of financial kind of related business or any kind of technical business, even if it's like just strict AI, they still need so many other things. And uh, there's uh, there's a human side. And uh, if women feel that you know that's an area where they're more comfortable with, like for example, I don't consider myself a technical person. I actually studied political philosophy, philosophy of science and technology. My understanding of technology is more on a conceptual level. Of course, I did also teach myself Python. I taught myself HTML, you know, when it came first out, uh, it, it first came out, you know, and now I'm teaching myself more and more every day about the technical size of the blockchain. So I learn the technical stuff just so that I have a good understanding of it when I'm working on the non-technical kind of areas and when I'm hiring people so that I can hire the right people. So that goes to show that you don't necessarily need to be technical to be able to, you know, um, come up with an idea uh, and and build something uh, like that. So tell me a little bit about your journey as, um, as a woman in this area. Do you feel like the fact that you had a male co-founder was very helpful or if you were um, building it by yourself, you know, uh, did you see any kind of places where treatments would have been different or, you know, what was your experience? Like if you were trying to raise money for it by by yourself, what would have been different? So it would have been much more challenging by myself. Uh, There were... So I'll start by saying my co-founder, Jesse, is a fantastic human being, and I I know I'm very lucky, and he's always treated me like a partner, and, you know, there's there's been the things that he's good at and the things that I'm good at, and we, we partner really well and know each other's strengths, and for us running the business, it, it sometimes would actually take us a take us by surprise when that question would come up from somebody like what's it like to have a male co-founder or what's it like to have a female co-founder and we never really knew how to answer that because we just work 
together really well and it never really crossed our mind um, in our interactions. But for me being in the business, especially being in a crypto business, the number of female co-founders is extremely small. So it's definitely hard. Uh, I've been to many events where, you know, people assume I'm a plus one. Uh, you know, I've, I've been to work events, cocktail receptions with my husband and people will come up and introduce themselves to my husband. And, you know, he thinks it's funny because then he'll say, oh, I'm, I'm with her. I'm just I'm just with her. And, you know, my co-founder and I would go to events and occasionally I'd get that same treatment. And so th- I guess those are the moments where I have to sort of make that decision. Like right now, am I going to make this moment about this person's stereotype and sort of call them out on it? Or am I going to make this moment about me showing my best self and just not, not focusing on that and, and setting an example for, for how I want people to see me. Um, but as for fundraising, that would have been a very different road for sure. I, you know, there were a couple times when, you know, I would meet somebody and I would tell them about the business. I would tell them about the company and I'd tell them about my co-founder and then they would literally say something like, well, I'd love to talk to your boss and see what he has to say. Um, and you know, the amount of funding that goes to female founded companies is just abysmal. And so, you know, I, we, we've had successful rounds, but I do watch what others are struggling through. And I don't think that it's a coincidence. Um, you know, my co-founder, not to discredit him, he is a fantastic entrepreneur. Um, but I do think if it were just me trying to to make those pitches that I would be starting from a disadvantage like so many others are. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's, it's a true um, status, you know, like it, it's, a, it's sad but true. And as we are building Fempeak, we are currently having an internal conversation about whether we should, uh, rather than being a female-only platform, being female-led, inclusive platform. Part of that is because I think that the women on our platform who are building businesses, who are, you know, learning about a lot of things within the business uh, sphere, they could benefit from networking with, uh, you know, potential male co-founders, potential male you know, um, uh, staff even and team members, you know, uh, and the truth is that we are, it is what it is. This is the situation. We do need to change it, but um, we need to change it from the inside. So we need to get more women on the inside so that we can change. And I think it's really hard to do that. Like they say, one hand doesn't have any sound, right? Like you need the two hands to make make mm-hmm. sound. In my case, with Van Peek, you know, I don't have a co-founder. I personally think that, but my personality is such that it works better for me not having a co-founder because I move really fast. Um, I don't really listen to anybody and I just like <laughs> do my own thing. I like, I would feel like really slowed down if I had to consult somebody about, um, you know, I just come up with ideas and, and I implement them, I, I bulldoze my way, you know. As a result, I'm, uh, you know, I'm losing my voice, <laughs> as you can, you can probably tell today. But um, 
But, you know, uh, I can definitely see the, that I think for most people, it would make sense to have co-founders. And, and if, it's, if it's something that helps you kind of break down some of the barriers and, uh, and over time, you know, you change perception. But I suspect that we also do need more female-only companies because when, when you have a co-founder, even when there is the success, most of the time people attribute the success to the, uh, to the male. Uh, and as you said, you know, like you go to the uh, public functions and people are like, you know, they want to talk to him because they, you know, they consider maybe they might think that you're just a staff, right? And this happens. And, and, a, and a similar kind of thing happens also in terms of in racial, you know, um, areas where uh, situations where, like, for example, I have um, this amazing skin therapist who has this built an incredible brand. She's won so many awards. And she says that she goes to the to these awards and she's sitting there, at, um, you know, on a table at a table uh, with her team member who are some of them are white. And and like people will come to the white uh, team members and, and try to talk to them about, oh, like, oh, so you you're you know, uh, do you have like they think that they are the owners of the brand and then they're like, oh, no, actually, it's her because she's a black woman. So people don't don't assume that she is the a founder and the winner of the award and the founder of the company. So the similar kind of biases, they are everywhere. So it's um, it, it, it's definitely a very frustrating um, and it does take sometimes it takes people like myself or like taking things to the other extreme to try and, you know, change that perception, like extremely difficult. So let's talk a little bit about the business side of things. When you guys started the, the company, did you start it with the view to sell it? Like, was that always the, um, did you want to be acquired? Was that always the, uh, the vision? No, ironically, it was not. We, so the IBM acquisition was a very successful exit for the company, but the process was pretty grueling and mentally exhausting going from a company, I think we were 64 people at the time IBM acquired us and trying to meld into an organization of 400,000 where everyone had competing priorities, you know, it was it was exhausting and and a little bit demotivating truly to to see kind of how the company just sort of dissolved into the bigger the bigger organization and a lot of what made it special was was gone pretty quickly and so when we decided to start the new company the idea was let's just keep this small let's build this hedge fund we we Jesse identified the opportunity to really um gain by making trading more efficient in the crypto space. So when we first started trading, it was, well, it still is really rudimentary in some ways, but it was really hard to efficiently trade across multiple exchanges or counterparties. And so he identified <clears throat> the opportunity in the space and very quickly, because we came from a technical mindset, um, again, I'm like you, I, I I want to understand how things work, but I'm not going to be writing the code. I also taught myself basic Python so that I could understand some of the basics. You know, the Jesse was the technical person. And, and um, so we attacked the problem from a technical perspective and started building software to make everything easier. And, and our whole 
tactic on everything was if software could do it better or more efficiently or more accurately, then we would build out the software to do it. And what ended up happening is we built this software platform that was way ahead of what was out there in the industry. So once when we we were approached, I'd say uh, casually, probably a half dozen times to be acquired over the last four years just to buy the software we had built for the for the hedge fund. And and we never pursued any of those um, over any of those conversations. We you know, we talk about them, but in the end, we were really happy building what we were building. We were really excited about what we were building and just the thought of especially with a hedge fund. I mean, a hedge fund, yes, could get acquired by another hedge fund, but you, you're still just building a hedge fund. There's not a ton of difference. So then when we spun out the new technology, um, which was a totally different focus and it was retail focus, that's when we really started thinking that an acquisition made a lot more sense because this industry is growing so quickly and people are adding so much all the time and now it's getting the attention of a lot of the big players in the traditional financial world and we knew that we couldn't grow as rapidly as we wanted to if we didn't partner in some way with somebody else so it really wasn't until about a year ago when we started this new entity that we realized that potentially an acquisition was the right way to go and ironically we were in the middle of raising our series a uh, when the acquisition conversation started and we we were negotiating our Series A term sheet. We were very happy with the, the leads that we were going to be working with on that series. And then Betterment came in and said, hey, hold on a second. We'd like to talk to you guys about an acquisition. And we, we had ironically also pitched ourselves as the betterment of crypto. So our early pitch decks even have you know, Makara is the betterment of crypto. Um, and so when Betterment came in and said, hey, we're interested in, in acquiring you guys, it just felt right. They're the, the things that they prioritized were the same things we prioritized and our product and their product were built with the same kind of philosophy. So that just sealed the deal for us. Amazing. So, um, so it was kind of like a match made in heaven. <laughs> Um, so uh, you feel very differently about this um, this process than the IBM thing that you discover uh, that you described, right? So it, it feels like it's like you're in good hands, and and are you going to be working with them for quite a while to uh, uh, to make sure that everything goes smoothly? Are you um, like your earnout and all that stuff, or is it like bye bye? You're going to do something else. So that uh, so Jesse and I a year ago when we launched the the second company we kind of took a step back up until then he had been CEO and I had been COO and we realized when we when we spun the company out that it didn't make sense to, to continue being split like that so I moved into the CEO role on the Strix Leviathan side and he moved into the CEO role O role on the Makara side so that is one thing that is a big adjustment for for me is particularly is now with this acquisition you know we're really splitting the two companies apart jesse will go and work with betterment full-time i will stay with uh, strix leviathan i'll continue on as an advisor 
um, in, in some capacity with Betterment. There's a lot of transition that needs to happen. And plus, I really love what we've built and I want to support it for the long run. So I'm definitely available as a resource to that team as long as, as, long as I can be helpful. Um, and the rest of the team on the Makara side uh, is all going over to focus 100% on Betterment. Awesome. And um, what do you think will be your, you know, your next step, your next move after, um, after this is all like sort of completed? What do you think you'll be doing? Because I, I'm, I'm really hoping that, um, you know, we see more of the women who are building these businesses, whether it's with co-founders or by themselves, that they go in to become angel ambassadors and, like, you know, um, support other female-led companies. You know, we need really more like hedge funds that are focused on, on uh, female-led companies as well. So, uh, yeah, I just wondered whether that's uh, something that's like on your journey down the line. I think so, for sure. I can't imagine not wanting to be involved in this process for the rest of my life. And uh, last year, I did my first angel investment through the Graham and Walker Fund, which is formerly known as the Female Founders Alliance and managed um, by, by Leslie Feinzeg. And she has been absolutely fantastic for me as a resource and a sounding board as I've been going through the last year particularly. And that um, they also, the Grandma Walker Fund participated in our last financing round. So uh, it was pretty fun to be their first exit um, in the fund. And through that entity, I'm seeing a ton of opportunities that are coming through their pipeline that I would love to be more involved in. And so I can see myself hopefully being able to mentor or um, invest or advise any of these startups and and become more involved in groups like the Graham and Walker. I, I think what they've done is just absolutely fantastic. Fempeak, I think is fantastic. And I think the future that I want to be involved in, the future that I want to see is more groups like Fempeak and Graham and Walker and ladies get paid and there there's more that I'm forgetting to mention, but I'd love to see all of these groups be become powerful venture backing for all of these female startups that aren't getting the attention that they need. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. I think it's it's super fascinating and uh, I'm so glad that we met. So, you know, and, and you're going to be doing sessions on Fanpeak. So we'll talk uh, more about that. Women really need a lot of support in these areas because they are one of the biggest problems is that they are not even familiar with the terminology that's used within the, you know, we had a session on Fempeak about how to raise investment for your startup. And you would think people who come to that session have at least heard the term VC. There were people who were like, what is a VC? And, you know, uh, then we had to explain the difference between angel investors and VCs and, you know, things like that. So we need ways to new and um, creative ways to involve women, especially from a younger age as well. But, you know, even at any age, doesn't matter because, you know, because of technology, we all live longer now and, you know, we are going to be around for a while. So we might as well, you know, create um, more businesses and, and, build things you know life's exciting so one of the things that we have i have at least observed is that i think one of the reasons why 
women don't build as many big businesses, and I'd like to hear your thoughts on that, is that most of the time when women think of building a business, they're thinking about the meaning behind it. They're thinking about the impact. Whereas for men, most of the time building a business is actually a game uh, and they, they enjoy the excitement of it. Of course, everybody wants to make an impact, but the game does matter. And personally, I see business as a game. And I, th- I think that's what makes it fun. And you know that's why I'm really competitive. I want to win. I'm like I'm doing this because I want to win because because I, I, it's fun, right? It's the adrenaline, right? And um, and I think if we could encourage that spirit of game playing and thinking of business as a game uh, for more women, you know, it could also uh, help them with risk taking and with um, uh, you know being able to just uh, think a little bit more outside the box and and like relax a little bit about the possibility of failure, the possibility of, you know, things going wrong, like managing stress better, things like that. So I wonder what your observation is on that. Do you have any children? I have two. Yes. Daughters? I have, I have a son and a daughter, nine and 11. Do you see any difference in, in their behavior towards, um, you know, what, what we, I'm just uh, explaining about games and game playing? Yes, they definitely are. They address, they focus on things differently. They take things in differently. They see the consequences differently. And I, I completely agree. I mean, they're, my two children are such different human beings. And it's really interesting to see, you know, they've been born and raised in the exact same environment. They're less than a year and a half apart and they're just still so very different. And some of that, you know, is totally out of our control. And some of it, I, I would love to figure out what, what makes each of them tick. But I, I see the same thing that you were mentioning in the broader entrepreneurial world. And and you said something about uh, being the afraid of losing or being uh, willing to lose or fail. And my opinion or observation, totally my opinion, <clears throat> is that women in general just they take it all more personally and we also beat ourselves up so much more and you know a lot of times I'll notice that if there's a failure and it's a male they're they're more willing to kind of say hey it was the business model or it was this or that and they're less willing to say it's it was me sometimes to a fault when it is there are contributing factors. I think sometimes they're less willing to, to say, hey, I shouldn't have done, you know, things this way. But, you know, it's always easy to be an armchair critic. But I know with women, especially women that I know who've had businesses that have failed or struggled, they take it personally. And it's, you know, they don't look at, hey, maybe it really is that right now the, something's wrong with the business model because some regulation changed or or something like that, they they literally think of, well, if I would have worked harder, if I would have tried harder, or maybe if I was smarter, or, you know, that crazy imposter syndrome that comes in and tells us that we're the reason it failed. And so we're less likely to sort of just toss something when it's ready to be completely rebuilt or, or walk away. Um, and that's something that I think really holds a lot of women back sometimes. Um, you know, there's there there's sometimes when I'm, I'm listening to somebody, then you know they're they're giving their 
background um, and they're they're talking about some experience and it's it's a total failure like that they were in some experience that totally failed but they're able to sort of learn from it explain the business ramifications explain what they were willing to do differently next time and then they move on but then there are others that just sort of holds them back and it's they feel like it's them failing instead of the business and i mean businesses are are not people they're like something we create and it's just like art sometimes you get it right and sometimes we really get it wrong and you know that hold back for females i tend to see a lot more than than in males and i do it to myself i mean i whenever things are going poorly or i'm struggling with something you know then i start going well what did i do wrong or what did i what should i do differently or maybe if i did this differently or maybe if i was better at that and then you have to sort of kick yourself in the butt and say whoa yeah <laughs> practice some self caring and step back and and focus on the business problem don't don't put yourself into it yeah i think i think as women even even the best of us uh, when i say best what i mean by that in in terms of um the most self-centric of us that are least focused on other people you know in 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 uh a business sense in that you know in that environment uh, and I consider myself in that category that's like, I'm really self-centric. I don't care what people say. I do my thing. Even, you know, from somebody like me, I still have moments where like just one email from a member really affects me. Like, you know, if somebody says something critical, you know, like in one day we get tens of emails every day from people saying how we change their lives, you know, like they're like, there are people who are like, I've only been here for three weeks and I've already like, I've got all these amazing ideas. I feel so energized. And then there might be like one person who says something a little bit negative, like, oh, the, the sound quality of, you know, this uh, speaker's uh, thing yesterday was not very good. And I'm like, then I'd be like ruminating over that. Uh, and I don't even notice it necessarily. Like, I don't know, like, I just feel like my mood has gone down. And then all of a sudden I'm like, hmm, I've been like really in a bad mood in the past six hours. Why am I in such a bad mood? And then I realized, oh, like I got that email and it really affected me, you know, or maybe uh, uh, like somebody says something on YouTube or something like that, you know, and I'm like, um, this is so not true. And I just really want to like go and take the person and like take their, you know, uh, their color like that. You know, No, this is not true. <laughs> this is not what we're doing. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> and I just take it so personally. And I'm like, why am I taking it so personally? Like, like thousands of people, they're going to like it. They're going to not like it, you know? And, and I think this is a very, very female trait. And even, even those of us who aren't generally um, like that, we still get like that, you know, and, and uh, at least sometimes. So um, yeah, I, I, you know, and, and I, I don't have children and uh, I decided not to have children because I was like, there's no way I can have children and do everything I'm doing. I don't have the kind of you know support. I don't have any family in the UK, you know, so I'm just not going to like have children. But um, I think that if I had children, that would even stop me even more because just looking at my kittens, I feel like I'm not giving them enough time, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and imagine like if you had kids, right. And you feel like, that sense of guilt right like so we are like we want to take care of everybody and we want to keep everybody happy uh, and then you know you're also trying to kind of build a business so how did you how did you deal with that 
you know, with two kids and, and building what you're doing, I'm sure it was very intense. Yeah, it was definitely super intense. Uh, I, I got this question recently from somebody else and, and I told them that I started training for this when I was getting my master's. So I did the evening program because I was working full time and I wanted to get my MBA, but I didn't want to quit and work and do the full time MBA. So I started the evening program and then I got pregnant in my first year and towards the end of the year. So, you know, it was pretty early. And then when I came back at the end of the summer to start the second year, you know, I had a pretty big belly sticking out by that point. And just there were shockwaves. People were just like stunned that I was coming back for my second year and I was pregnant. And I even had one guy who very ignorant in some ways, um, very intelligent person, but ignorant in some ways. And he walked up and said, are you going to be able to finish the program? Are you gonna, like, are you going to drop out? And I was, and I just said, why would I drop out? And he said, well, cause you're pregnant. And I said, yeah, I'm just going to have the baby and keep going. And he honestly was kind of horrified. And apparently later somebody told me he was making jokes about like me having birth and giving birth in class. And, you know, and I just, I just ignored it. Wow. So I had my son my second year in my program. My The program, other than that one individual, was incredibly supportive. My professors were supportive. The program was supportive. And then I kept going, and I had my daughter during my third year. And so I ended up having a longer, a longer MBA. I graduated in the fifth year, but I had both of my kids during the program. And I became the go-to person for the MBA program office whenever there was a female candidate who would express concern about managing school and potentially work and kids. And so I talked to dozens of women over the years who were, you know, saying, how do you, how do you do it? And I just say, you just do it. You know, you're, there's some days when your kitchen is an absolute mess, your laundry pile is taller than you are. But if your kids are happy and fed and, you know, you are getting stuff done that you need to get done, not not the want to get done, but the need to get done. It's like as long as you're getting what you need to get done and your children are happy and healthy, like you're you're fine. All that other stuff you can catch up on if you need to later. And that's kind of carried into my career. Mm -hmm. And when I first started this company mm -hmm. with Jesse, my husband was getting his PhD. So it was just straight chaos. Uh, I mean, there were moments when I thought, what am I doing? I'm absolutely insane. But Jesse, my co-founder, also has two young kids, very similar ages, and also focused on managing time. And there were days when things might be chaotic, but I could say my daughter has a ballet recital. I'm offline for the next two two hours. And it didn't matter if something just completely caught on fire, the team covered it. And so we just set an uh, expectation among the company that family comes first. And if anyone had anything like that, I mean, we've had, we've had deaths and loss of family members in within our team and everyone has just stepped in and covered and there's no judgment, there's no shame. And then you know, there are times when people just forget to. So I've had to just establish boundaries of, you know, going in on my calendar and saying two days a week, I pick my kids up from school and I take them to their activities. And that is like really important time for me because I'm walking from school to drop them off at soccer or swimming. And that's 
that's time that that I need and that they need and those calls can wait and then sometimes I'm up till midnight uh, more than I care to admit you know catching up on email or taking calls so that I can have that time with my kids but um, it it's a juggle it's hard uh, and there's definitely a lot of things I haven't pursued in my life because of it um, but those are all choices we all make and everyone makes them for their own reasons and um, either way uh, it's excruciatingly tough to run a business I mean even without kids you are under so much pressure and I mean there's there's no comparison so it's a hard journey either way yeah definitely I mean I take my hats off to you because I don't think I could have done it I don't just I don't you know just like sometimes when people tell me oh Sami this is amazing you've achieved all these things and I'm like yeah you realize I don't have kids you know it makes a big difference <laughs> i couldn't have done it i don't think i could have it's it's very very hard but um i think that's a good place to bring our conversation to an end i think it's very inspiring for everybody uh what you've achieved uh congratulations again on your success and um looking forward to um follow your journey i think there's uh, quite a lot and i hope um quite a lot for people to learn about you know to follow uh, your journey and uh, you know I, um i'm hoping to continue to see you uh you know making an impact and supporting other women and supporting other people uh, everybody you know really um the reason why i focus on women is because of the massive gap that we have in women um uh, you know being able to build these businesses and, and gain that kind of success. And I think that it's, um, I can't compare it to having kids because I haven't had kids, but building a business is like bringing up a child uh, in, in, in many respects. And it's uh, very satisfying, it's very rewarding. Um, it's got a different kind of, um, you know, sense of uh, leaving a legacy and, and uh, accomplishment which I think it's an amazing feeling. And I hope that more women can uh, experience it because it's just fun. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, no, I admire greatly what you've built and I'm super happy to be part of the FanPeak platform. And I, I'm, I have high hopes for all the things that it, this is gonna turn into and become. Thank you. Thank you so much, Sadie. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Sadie Rainey. She's also a regular contributor to FemPeak, and you should definitely join the platform and tune into her excellent educational sessions. If you're enjoying this podcast, please consider subscribing to it on Apple, Spotify, or any other one of your favorite podcast channels. And don't forget to give it a five-star rating and write a review. The full interviews are also available on my YouTube channel, The Somi Ariane Show.